the hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. You're listening to the Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com, one of the Inside Carolina network of podcasts. I'm Joey Powell, your host. With me, as always, are the stars of the show, the guys that bring the real insight, the butchers in the meat shop, the cooks in the kitchen, the guys that do the real work around here, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. What's up, fellas? How you doing? Good, man. Sherelle, what's up with you? Fruit snacks good? Oh, yeah, they were delicious, and uh, just trying to stay away from these bad beats. Perfect, perfect. (laughs) Yeah. That's the story of our life, especially this time of year, right? (laughs) While we're at it, I want to tell everybody that I appreciate you listening. I want to make sure to take a second to give us a rating and a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. The reviews actually help uh, Inside Carolina's content pop to the top so that it makes it easier for other people who are searching to hear this stuff. Uh, it helps them see it easier. So make sure to stop, give us a review uh, if you like it. If you don't like it, let us know because we don't want to make bad stuff. We want to put good content out there for you. And we want to make sure that we're satisfying what you've come to expect from InsideCarolina.com. And as always, we are sponsored by our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. They just finished an amazing Black Friday sale, which everything, it seems like they had marked down. But make sure you're checking them out right now. They've got a lot of the new uh, wintertime Nike stuff, which is pertinent to the gentlemen that are on this podcast right now. Make sure you hit them up. If you are an Inside Carolina premium subscriber, use that discount. Get your extra 10 off of whatever their current lowest price is, which you can't beat that. And if you've been listening to Inside Carolina Live on Saturdays, which why would you not, uh, on <laughs> chapelboro.com, we always do a giveaway during the show. So take whatever we give you. You can get down to the store or head online, shop, hit them up. But take care of Johnny T-Shirt because they take care of us, and we want to take care of you. Boys, with that said, got the business out of the way. And speaking about business, tell me about Robert Dillingham. I have seen and heard some, some scuttlebutt about this guy seen some names i know we did a story about him recently on insidecarolina.com but sherelle i'll go to you first who is robert dillingham and why should our listeners and readers care uh so yeah he is a um six two-ish uh self-reported guard uh at a combine academy in lincolnton north carolina which is uh uh just north of charlotte and he's coached by jeff mcginnis at combine and he's probably the player I think North Carolina has had the most interest in uh, this early in 2023, uh, which is the sophomore class. So uh, definitely <laughs> doing a lot of work uh, early. You know, they've they've um, talked to some 2022 and he's among the, the lead group so far in 2023. Um, really, he's a scorer, man. I, I think that's the thing when talking to people, talking to McGinnis and um, talking to some scouts and people who've seen him play a ton. Um, he's wired to score. That's what he does best. Um, he's very confident. He's a good shooter. McGinnis, you know, we, again, we talked to him for our intro story a couple of weeks ago and he thinks, you know, maybe he was exaggerating a bit, but he's like really firmly believes that he could come in and, and score in college today as a sophomore. Um, wow. that he just has those, that kind of ability over the summer. I mean, he put up some crazy numbers. He had a couple of 50 point games, uh, during AAU ball, which, you know, even if the defense is lacking, like it sometimes does um, in grassroots basketball, putting up 50 against other, you know, decent players is still a big deal. Um, so I think that's kind of where they're at. He played uh, against the North Carolina JV team actually in January uh, in, in the Smith Center and had like 29 points as a freshman. Mm-hmm. It's hard to score 50 goals. points against air. <clears throat> right, right, <laughs> exactly. And then 29 points against the Carolina JV team um, as a freshman. A lot of those JV guys played high school basketball, so they're not, you know, they're not elite college athletes right. or anything, they're not terrible and he's the 14 year old kid um, and then Carolina is the school that he um, has uh, talked about and you know frankly said he wants to go to so there's a lot in favor of UNC in that recruitment and I think the next step um, is, is an offer and that you know that could be coming at any time all right and you know you mentioned he's 6'2 ish self-reported 
But at that age, there's, we've seen guys, I mean, you always hear about Anthony Davis, right? Like kids that grow so much once they get to high school. And while he may not end up being 6'11", he could still grow a little bit. And if he's already got that ability to score, that's that's remarkable. Sean, you've seen this kid play a little bit. What what jumps out at you when you're watching him? Unfortunately, I haven't seen him in, in person, but was able to watch uh, some of the live stream over the weekend. And, you know, the 6'2 reported, it's always – easier to size them up when, when you're in person, but I would have to guess that's a little bit of a exaggeration <laughs> at this point. He definitely looked a little smaller. I mean, he's, he's kind of a slight, you know, small frame. Um, so on the court, you know, it definitely looks, looks like one of the youngest guys, one of the smaller guys, but as Terrell mentioned, um, I mean, he can shoot the lights out, you know, even at his at 15 or as a, you know, early in his sophomore year, he has really NBA range. Um, I think the thing that was most impressive to me was just his his dribble ability in terms of like his his one two, either his uh, between the legs or between the legs behind the back, how quick it was, um, and how smoothly he could do that and get it into a shot. So there's really no wasted uh, no wasted motion. And you know when he did that, he basically just frees the defender. Um, and, and as I said, he has range. So you know, right off the bat in the game yesterday, first possession, pull up three pointer. Um, I think he had 13 in the first half. It was a blowout of a game. So he had one three in the second half, but really didn't play much of the second half of the third or the fourth quarter. Um, you know, but in addition to his ability to score, he liked to push the ball. He had pretty good vision, uh, you know, definitely had some, some turnovers and some, some careless, uh, you know, things that he did, but at the same time, the talent was, was obvious, uh, you know, in the first half had a fast break dunk that he, that he got up and, and showed some of the athleticism, but it was definitely impressive his shooting as well as just his, his playmaking for such a young age. I'm glad you mentioned his handle. I was going to ask, how does a kid that sleight of frame get his own shot? But it sounds like from what you were saying, it's just his, his comfortability and his quickness with his handle is what really gets him that separation. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you're going to be seeing that a lot, a lot more now that people are, looking at Trey Young and, and seeing what, um, what he does. But yeah, it was really kind of that one-two movement. And there wasn't a lot of wasted dribbles. It was always just super quick, one-two into, you know, driving or into a shot. Um, and every time the defender, once again, would basically freeze. And with that, Dylan Ham could kind of do what, what he wanted. So even if it was a taller defender, uh, he would gain that really one or two seconds of freedom um to get kind of an uncontested shot awesome and you know from a recruitment standpoint um it, it's funny following the storylines his to me it's starting to track a little bit uh similar to Licky blacks and for those who don't remember uh, back in 2015 uh steve robinson saw Licky. i think it was november maybe of 2015 and he liked what he saw and roe williams went and watched him uh, about three weeks later in early December of 2015, <clears throat> we happened to be at the game um, and Licky didn't perform the best. But I think Roy, you know, kind of saw glimpses of, of what he thought could be a really good player. And four days later, he offered and then Licky committed about a month later. Um, now, I'm not saying a commitment or offer are imminent, though we think an offer, you know, could come at any time. But, you know, you start talking about Roy Williams watching a player now on video. He's seen him. Um, in the Smith Center, you know, there's the McGinnis factor. You start to add all that stuff up. The, the kid is called North Carolina, his dream school. And, you know, it, it could be a scenario where if there's an offer, you know, he's a very early commitment. And so a, a, a spring semester or excuse me, a late uh, fall semester or early spring uh, semester of your sophomore year commitment isn't something that Carolina hasn't had before. Kendall Marshall committed yeah. very early in the fall of his sophomore spring sophomore semester and Leaky Black committed very early in the spring semester of his sophomore season. So just something uh, to look out for. And, you know, it, the other part of it is I think Carolina, um, they're, they're in a good spot now, but it's, it's curious to see how long that holds if they don't offer. I think very similar to Dayron Sharp when he, uh, was playing with Gardner Road, we were told over and over, like, they need to get on them because if they don't, you know, the, the other guys are coming and, and um, they might make it a little bit harder for you than if you just offer now and he'll commit a couple months later, which is what happened with him. So I think that's kind of what, what the UNC staff is weighing. <clears throat> it's very hard to project what a, someone's going to look like when, you know, they're a sophomore versus a freshman in college. But 
um, you know, I'm curious to see how Roy Williams and his staff weighs that. And that will ultimately, I guess, decide whether or not he gets an offer sooner rather than later. Sean, anything else to add? No, I mean, I, I'm definitely interested to kind of see how he, how he progresses, uh, you know, normally, and, and I know uh, going back to 2019, um, USA basketball had a few freshmen uh, come into camp. He was not one of them, but I assume he probably would have been one, you know, going in uh, either this past year or next year. So it will be nice to get to see him in person, but I think definitely with combine, um, you know, their games are live streamed and they play a pretty good schedule. So it should be fun to, track him going forward but yeah definitely a guy that can score it'll be interesting to see how his body um hopefully starts to fill out down the road all right well that's the inside scoop if you will about uh robert dillingham keep your eyes out there should be some developments or at least this is trending as if there could be some developments relatively soon around him and a potential offer boys why don't we talk about the current team last time we did one of these shows we didn't have real live basketball to talk about. There was no uh, scrimmages. There's no secret scrimmages this year because of COVID. There's no preseason games. But since then, we've actually had a handful of real live competitive basketball games. And I'll throw a softball to start with. I'll let you. I'll let you throw it up first, Sean. Um, what was what was your take having seen this team for the first time in live action? Uh I think, you know, pros and cons uh, with, with everything. I was able to go back and kind of rewatch some of the quote unquote Maui Invitational. And I mean, at one, it's definitely an improved team from last year. Um, you know, I think last year's team might have even lost to UNLV getting down, down like they did. Um, I think it's, you know, one of the things we've been seeing is how do Caleb Love and, and RJ Davis, how have they been doing? And at times there's glimpses of, wow, you know, these guys are really good. And then other times there's glimpses of these guys being freshmen. Um, you know, there's a lot more talent on the team. So with that, I think we're, you're seeing a lot of different lineups and even sometimes in the game where two people are doing the same thing, uh, we're not really, you know, being as sharp or crisp uh, as one would, one would like. Um, you know, I think Having one loss is not not the end of the world. Sure, it would have been nice to have come back and and won the invitational going Dude, into the, Iowa. Half the half the uh, of America has one loss at this point. <laughs> I think you're just you're in you're in vogue if you're doing that. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, I, as I said, pros and cons. I, I've been, you know, I, I think the freshmen have have played well. Obviously, the shooting and turnovers is an issue. Um, Sharp, I think, man, his, his passing has been been fantastic as has his energy I know over the summer we talked about these games without any fans and sometimes whoever's going to bring the energy is going to be the team team that you know gets the you know gets the job done and he's really been the guy on UNC that is coming off the bench and bringing the energy and being the vocal vocal guy uh, despite you know how quiet he he used to be in high school at times um but then obviously the you know there's still the issues of, of the scoring droughts, uh, the three-point shooting, the missed free throws, the turnovers. So a lot of things that need to be worked on, but I think there's a higher, you know, obviously a higher ceiling than, than last year. Sherelle, same to you, just initial high-level impressions. I'm going to hit you with the real questions here in a second, but high-level impressions, what was your, your first reaction? Uh, the front line is as advertised. Um, we talked about, you know, a ton of time, a ton of times over the last few months, just about how the strength of the team was going to be the front court. They were going to play bully ball. It was going to be like an offensive line, you know, just <laughs> running wishbone at you time after time and after time, kind of a Paul Johnson almost offense like in, in basketball. And I think that's running true because, I mean, it's tough for them to score on the outside right now. I think that goes to the other part is uh, I didn't think they would be a great or even good three-point shooting team, but I didn't think they would be bad again. And again, it's only four games. Um, and throughout college basketball, I think guys aren't shooting well, which is yeah. surprising. Another thing we talked about was <laughs> how will not having crowds and all that stuff impact, um, you know, the games and the scoring. In the NBA, it, it was kind of a, you know, kind of a, a NBA on steroids, for lack of a better phrase, uh, as far as shooting and offense, where everybody was making everything. Guys everybody was never good. heard of. <laughs> yeah, everybody was great. And, you know, people are getting paid now because of it. Um, but in college basketball, it's been the other way. Like everybody is struggling, maybe except for Iowa, who we'll talk about in a second, <laughs> struggling to score. I mean, Kentucky just lost by 17 points to Georgia Tech. 
I mean, that's and not the Georgia what you, Tech team that has two bad losses. Right? Yeah, it's so. a, a North Georgia and Georgia State or something. You know, they only State and Mercer. And we Mercer. all remember Mercer. Yeah, Thank Mercer. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Kentucky only had sixty-two points. So I, I think you're just seeing. Um, not to make excuses, but I think you're saying COVID really impacting things. Guys just haven't been in the gym nearly as much. You know, there was, there was months and months off for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's reflected in Carolina. So I, I think the bigs are as advertised. I'm surprised by the shooting. Not that I expected them to be great, but I expected them to be a little bit better. Um, I've been fine with, with the freshman guards. You know, it's what freshman guards do, particularly at Carolina. It is trying to learn, how to uh, mold kind of um, your your thought process and mold um, playing instinctually. And that's just something that they'll learn over time. It, it just takes a little bit. It takes more than four games. But No, Sherelle, it, they're supposed to walk on their first <laughs> game, and they're supposed to be amazing, and they're not allowed to make any, mix- right. any mistakes. Now, I don't care what class they are. That's right. what I've now, been great. told. Right. Now, granted, I'm not making excuses for them because there, there has been some poor play, but I think part of it is attributable to them um, just not um, maybe knowing what to do. And then part of it is just mistakes and, and things that they hope will get cleaned up. Uh, so th- those are my big takeaways is that it, it, they'll get better, but there are, there are things to be concerned about. I love your comment about the shooting. And it's something that, that makes me think of is, is the shooting that was supposed to come from guys like Walton and Puff Johnson, and they just haven't seen the minutes yet. And so you'd, you'd, got, you'd like to think that as those guys get more acclimated, fit in, get more minutes, and the team just gets used to each other, that the shooting should improve. It may not right. turn them into a, a 50% shooting team from behind the arc, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I do think it'd be better. And, and Caleb, Caleb is a better shooter than what right. he's shown so far. Well, you've seen I, that. You can see that in his stroke. I mean, right. not to step on Sean's thing here and analyzing a guy's <laughs> shot, but you can see that he's got some fluidity. It's not a lot of effort in, in his release, so – you got to think that that'll come eventually. Um, I also like your point about about just some of the guys not being where they're supposed to be. Uh, Sean, I think that was you earlier. I mean, you can see some of the spacing issues. And again, that's the type of thing that's really fixable. And as these guys get more more accustomed to playing with each other. Cheryl, I'll, I'll follow up with this question. What has surprised you about this team? What has surprised me about this team? Could be good um, or bad. Yeah, um, the free throw shooting is a surprise, um, <laughs> and the, honestly, the turnovers are a surprise because the the idea is that if you're going to have two guys who can play the point guard spot, then that should eliminate some of the ball handling issues, and uh, that's why to me it's not a big deal because you know they they are freshmen and they're playing up a level and, and it's new. Um, but I am surprised that they've had you know I think it was 24 turnovers against Stanford or I stopped counting at 20. (laughs) Yeah. So to me, that's, that's pretty surprising because I I thought having those two back there um, and then with the way that, that sharp is a, is a good passer that Brooks is a senior. I thought that would, would keep those down a little bit. Sean, looking forward, what does this past week tell you about this team? I mean, I I think it it tells us that uh, there's definitely talent to work with, but at the same time, you know, not nearly as much talent as, as two years ago in terms of, is this a championship contending team? And I know last year on the podcast, we kind of talked, you know, this is ideally a year to set up next year. Now, <laughs> granted, is that true now? Um, <laughs> I guess that's a, a little, a little more debatable, but um, you know, I, I think overall it, it's, it's, you know, I, I do have confidence going into this week uh, with two Big Ten teams, um, but I think, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that, that needs to be ironed out pretty quickly, which is not really able to be done against kind of some low mid-majors or mid-majors at the Dean Dome, where normally you have, you know, 10 plus games to, to do yeah. that over no- November, December. I think one of the things that always gets worked out during these early season games that, that you're not seeing this year is the division of minutes amongst guys. You start to see a normal rotation and I think we we didn't really see that this past week. I mean, you you know who the top three minute getters are going to get, but after that, there's a little bit of of kind of plug and play. And I think the coaching staff is still feeling that out. How do you guys well, feel like the the minutes are going to work out, Sean? I'll, I'll throw that to you first. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess we'll start first with the bigs. Um, you know, it's a luxury to have four talented, you know, really really fives more or less. Obviously, Garrison's been playing the four and been doing a pretty good job at it. Um, but 
UNC's best teams, they've had three very strong bigs and you know exactly kind of from a minute perspective and they're able to be kind of, uh, you know, rotated in and out. Um, you know, with four, it kind of makes things a little, you know, who's playing well at the time, who's playing well with each other. And you don't really get into, you know, it's more of a per game basis on a, on a flow. So, you know, I think, will we see, you know, maybe it's Kessler who has his minutes dwindled and, and sharps um, increase. I, I don't know. I mean, I think trying to at least get into a little more of, of how things are going to, going to go, but there could be times where Brooks isn't playing well or Baycott and you need, you know, one of the other guys to step up. Um, you know, I, you mentioned, uh, the shooting with, with the freshman, uh, Johnson and, um, and Walton. And I think for me, uh, rewatching the Texas game, there's a few minutes and I don't know what the plus minus was, but when it had love Johnson and Walton out on the floor, and I just thought the spacing, um, was, was pretty decent with that, with two, you know, the ability for two shooters on the, on the wings, um, as well as kind of then that letting RJ be the dominant ball handler instead of going back and forth. Um, so I did kind of like that lineup. I would say to me, Walton has been, um, more surprised. I'd say a surprise. I, I was kind of low on him during the summer, just, you know, in terms of his, his quickness and I knew he could shoot, but you know, how is he going to be able to play defensively? And it does look like he's kind of leaned out a little bit, and not that he's a defensive stud by any means, but I, I, I was, you know, I, I, I kind of want to see him get more minutes just given his three-point shooting ability um, as well as some of his length out there. Sherelle, what about you? How do you see the minute situation shaping up and do you see it happening anytime soon? Yeah, I think uh, we have to see the deal with Anthony Harris's health. I think that's a, a big deal. <clears throat> I think um, Andrew Playtech, I think what you've seen with him is his minutes kind of vacillate between uh, I guess 16, 17, 18, 19, something like that. And then I think it gets Texas six. So mm -hmm. I think his will be matchup dependent um, for teams who kind of have those uh, stud athletes on the wing like Texas. I think maybe he's not the best fit for, for teams uh, who don't have that. Then I think he can do a lot of things and he can, you know, he can help. I know he's uh, uh, very polar polarizing among the fan base, but I do think there are things he can do to help um, from there. I think once Harris gets back, you integrate him more kind of at the two guard. And, you know, another thing, and, and I'm, I'm switching again, but another thing about Caleb Love and RJ Davis, you have to realize is that both of these guys have had the ball in their hands their entire lives. And, you know, Caleb, even though he played off ball, he had the ball, you know, he it was, was still the trigger. Yeah. It was still the trigger guy and RJ Davis the same way. And I would say it's even more of a transition for Caleb because RJ played with more talented players, both on to me, both on AAU and in high school. And so Caleb, you know, for him, it was just kind of, I get the ball, go down the court. I do my thing. If that's a pass, great. If it's me taking a shot, probably even better because you know, he's the best player on the team. So it, it just takes time to learn like, okay, I need to do this. And in secondary, you know, I go to the corner or on this secondary, I look for the trailing guy and all that stuff processing at once is just a lot to handle. And, uh, you know, over the years, I've talked to so many parents and people close to uh, these players and they all talk about how just, you know, they say, oh, my, my son is thinking too much or, or yeah. he's thinking too much. He's thinking too much. And the difference to me is that um, the folks who figure it out and the folks who don't figure it out is 100% confidence. Mm. And the guys who figure it out um, is because their confidence never wavers or if it does, it's, it's very slight. And the guys who sometimes take a year or two is because they got down on themselves and right. just start snowballing where, uh, they make a mistake and then they get down on themselves and because they get down on themselves, they make another mistake and on and on it goes. And I, I don't think Caleb is that type. So, um, I, you know, I just, I, I don't feel the need to defend, but I feel the need to explain because uh, it, it is a, a big jump from, you know, St. Louis high school basketball, right. to, you know, playing against Texas in a nationally televised game. I just want to say, and I know that Texas has been a, somewhat of a bee in the bonnet for Roy Williams, especially, you know, at North Carolina. But how is it that every time, regardless of how regularly North Carolina plays Texas, how is it that every time Texas runs out on the court against Carolina, they have three guys that are really athletic guards that are like 21 years old? <laughs> I swear, and I'm, I may be making this up, so don't fact check me, but it seems like every time that they match up with the Tar Heels, Texas has a very old, wise, cagey, 
um, athletic backcourt. Like guys yeah. that are all like six three to six five. They could all sh- hit big shots when they need to, and they've all been in that system for a little while. It's it's uncanny to me. And what I think was that diff- was, um, you know, that was what scared, you know, looking at the the betting lines before the game, that was what scared me off of, of taking UNC. It was just looking at Texas and you see their experienced guards, juniors, seniors that have been there, done it, done that. They did have some athletic bigs to match up with UNC. And then you add uh, Greg Brown, kind of a, you know, top 10 athletic freshman. So that was kind of the worry, you know, thing that worried me going into the game was really that guard experience. And yeah. of course, uh, you know, Matt Coleman had, you know, one of the games of his life. Of it his matters life. early, man, especially this time of the year. Like it matters early in the season when you've got those guys you can lean on. Trell, you were going to say something? I was just going to say it was and it's different from the previous Texas losses because after those games, you're like, man, those guys out physical Carolina. They out-rebounded yeah. them. They beat them up. Carolina beat them up, beat Texas up this time. Especially in but, the second half. Yes. Yeah, but but Matt Coleman just having that that senior leadership and, um, you know, it, it was it wasn't good in the moment, but it was a good experience for RJ and Caleb, I think, to see what – you know, a, a senior guard playing at the top of his game, probably like uh, Sean said, probably maybe the best he can play to see what that's like. And they'll be better for it. Absolutely. And I think it's important for fans to remember, too, they made Coleman hit a good shot. Like it's 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 not like it's not like he, he got a layup like he he hit a he hit a good shot, a contested shot. And you can you can bemoan R.J. Davis being the short guy guarding him all you want to. But kid hit a big shot. That's what that's what uh, upperclassmen do. Sean, your thoughts on Caleb Love? I think you wanted to you throw something in there. Yeah, uh, one thing, you know, just in terms of the, the shot, um, you know, once again, it was a heck of a shot. You go back and watch, I think it was right around the five-minute mark. Um, Matt Coleman did the same exact move from the same exact spot um, to hit kind of the step back fadeaway. Um, so you, you kind of knew it was coming. But once again, he's a quick guard. Um, RJ's, you know, still getting the hang of it defensively. There've been, I think countless times he's been beaten right off the dribble, but mm-hmm. once again, he wasn't known as kind of a, you know, he's known as a scorer and a playmaker coming in. So he's, you know, getting better defensively and to go against the guard that quick with that experience is tough um, early on. But in terms of Caleb Love, I think Joe, you had mentioned his, his shot mechanics and that was something I'd been trying to focus on. Um, when kind of going back through the games and once again, he's three of 19 from three, you know, this, this isn't a lights out shooter. He shot 34% in the Nike EYBL. So it's not like he was a 40% shooter there, but you know, the positive is that, you know, go back to last year with Keeling and it was just a struggle for him with kind of the new three point line in terms of just getting the ball up there without Mm -hmm. the, the dribble. And with love, I mean, he, he's comfortable still, once again, just catching and shooting from, you know, from NBA three-point line. So it's easy to get there. Um, I think it's just a little bit more kind of focus. You know, sometimes his back is, you know, he's kind of been leaning in with the upper body or maybe, you know, short-armed it a little bit. I don't really know what went on in, uh, with that air ball uh, from the wing because he was wide open. Maybe, you know, probably just got in his head a little bit. But Is that the one he chicken-winged? There was I, I one he chicken-winged I mean, pretty bad. There was one in the first half he, he, he chicken winged. And then, you know, there's another one that just kind of was in and out. So, you know, I think for him is just kind of continuing to shoot good open shots, not, not forcing it. And once again, with him, his whole thing is he's so strong going to his left, whether that's pick and roll, you know, there was a pull up uh, jump shot he had going left and it would just look so smooth and so effortless. And it was a, a swish from about 15, 17, but he has struggled going to the right. Um, and once again, I think it was during the Georgia tech Kentucky game. Uh, one of the announcers says, you know, this isn't a, you where you're the best player on the team and you go one for six, two for seven to start. And it's no problem. You just keep on shooting. Um, you don't really have that luxury, especially at UNC. And, you know, I think these games are just kind of bringing, you know, getting these reps out. And, and, uh, I think there is a lot of positive to work with, uh, going forward. Yeah, and Joey, we, going back to the surprise, this is my last point on that. Um, one thing I am surprised by is that the team isn't getting as many open shots, um, especially on the on the wing, as I expected. I thought that with the bigs inside and with everybody trying to contain them inside, they would say, okay, we're, we're going to double and triple and quadruple team you in the post and we'll leave these guys open. And that's happened to some degree, but I, I guess the guy, the defensive um, – 
players they've, they've gone against on the wing have either been really athletic or really long because there haven't been to me that I can remember a ton of just wide open shots. Like loves was one of them. I think Playtech has had a couple, but there aren't, haven't, haven't been a ton of clean looks. And that was something I expected um, to see a lot of considering how strong they are on the inside. I would think that that's something too, that as, as opposing coaches get more tape or get more film on how UNC uses the bigs and using those double posts, you got to think that'll they'll start changing the way you expected to see them to change. Real logic would tell me that maybe I'm wrong. That's probably why I'm I'm hosting and not coaching. Uh, so we talked about a couple of the the early deficiencies that we've seen, and and I'm I'm kind of hesitant to call them warts yet, but some things that could be concerning. Of those things, aside from free throws, which I'm not I'm not one of those that are going to say they're a terrible free throw shooting team. They just they didn't shoot well against Texas, but what do you guys feel like are some of the easiest things that could be tweaked um, through a couple more games? You know, you always hear that coaches can can coach better after a loss. Well, UNC had their first loss last week. What do you guys think are some of the things that can be tweaked uh, a little sooner rather than later or things that can be fixed as this team is rounding into who they're going to be in a, in a couple of months? Sherelle? Yeah, the turnover is number one for me because that, that stuff is just being strong with the ball. It's knowing where to go. It's just being smart a lot of the times. Um, there weren't many, uh, I would say, turnovers where somebody was, to me, where they were somewhere in the wrong place or, you know, they were trying to make an aggressive play. It was just a lot of just, you know, just be smarter and, and think a little more before you throw the pass. <clears throat> so I think that stuff can get cleaned up a ton. I mean, you have to. You can't go multiple games with 20-plus turnovers. So I, I would look to that first and foremost before anything. And especially, yeah. as, especially as the two guards get more experience, they'll be able to handle that better. Sean? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, right now they're averaging, I think, 10 assists and almost 16 turnovers a game. So, I mean, obviously the turnovers is high, but I think you would expect a little bit better on the assist side. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that will come – with the experience, especially from the two guards and especially with, you know, getting healthy um, and adding another one in there. But right now, and once again, it's only four games in, so you can, uh, you know, extrapolate it throughout the rest of the season. But I think they're ranked uh, 92nd in tempo. So by far the slowest of any Roy Williams teams in terms of national rankings. Um, you know, they've been at 71, 72 possessions. And I think we all thought that was going to increase in terms of, you know, they weren't going to be at Kobe White speed, but in terms of playing faster and so far, you know, they haven't. So I, I think, you know, that can be another thing that not necessarily gets cleaned up, but in terms of things that um, improves on going forward. All right. We'll take a quick break right here so we can let some of the national folks run their airtime to sell ads or air ads to sell things. We'll be right back to talk a little bit about Iowa here on the Coast to Coast podcast on InsideCarolina.com. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. All right, thanks for sticking around. You're listening to the Coast to Coast Podcast on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell. With me, as always, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran. Guys, we've talked about what the UNC team has looked like in their early games so far this season. Got two big tests. Uh, Sean, you, you mentioned it earlier. Specifically coming up, they're going to be playing in Iowa City against uh, the Fighting Luca Garzas. <laughs> and they'll also have a game against uh, another ranked opponent from the Big Ten in Ohio State. Uh, boys, how do we feel like that's going to shake out? I, I've always felt like the Big Ten's style of play is, is tough for North Carolina uh, physically, but once they start running, 
they've been able to kind of outdo them. I'm specifically thinking about Tom Izzo teams. But, Sean, how do you feel like uh, this team, as it sits right now, is going to match up with, with these two Big Ten squads? I mean, I always think Carolina should never lose to a Big Ten team. Um, <laughs> and, unfortunately, there's a lot of fans been... out there that would agree with you. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, going into going into this game, Iowa, you know, top top five team, Luka Garza, um, you know, they haven't played anybody yet. So that's a positive. They played, you know, everybody's been talking about Luka Garza dropping 30 plus uh, by halftime, but they haven't played anybody. Uh, when, you, when you look at them, like it's going to I mean, it's going to be a tough one with with Garza. But once again, that's UNC's strong point. Um, you know, I think Joe uh, was Joe Wisecamp um, was, was about to mispronounce his last name. That guy is a pretty talented player. I mean, he's potential, I'd say, late second round, two-way type of guy. So he's talented. Um, and, and they have some, you know, shooters. You know, they're shooting at a very high clip. That's kind of what you would expect. But yep. in terms of overall talent and experience, you know, going into the season, I think UNC was a four-and-a-half-point underdog. Ken Palm has them Iowa by three. Um, I would like to say I see UNC going 2-0, but realistically, they'll probably go 1-1. Uh, but once again, I think, I, you know, they match up well with Iowa. So I'm not going to be surprised if they go go over there, you know, over to the, into the Midwest and come out with a victory. Cheryl, how do you feel about these these upcoming games? Yeah, we uh, Weisskamp was my kind of the, the guy to watch for Iowa. Like everybody knows Garza is going to do his thing. And, you know, I, I, I do think he's a good player. Um, last year he was pretty dominant and yes, they haven't played anyone this year, but I think he's at, he's shown enough over the last couple of years for, for Carolina to recognize him as a good player and treat him as such. So that always means when it comes to Carolina defending a, a player who's really good in the post on the opposing team, it all comes down to whether or not the supporting cast of that player can hit their threes. So, um, I think this is a big game for someone like Leaky Black. I laugh because, uh, again, another divisive, polarizing player uh, among media and fans and everything. But uh, he's someone whose length I think could bother uh, the perimeter players of um, of Iowa, and if they're able to just keep them to a reasonable, reasonably low percentage from three, you know, 33, 32%, something like that. And, and kind of uh, maybe encourage those guys to shoot a little bit more since Garza is the key to their team. Um, then I, I think North Carolina's bigs can handle him um, between the four of them. And then it's just a matter of whether or not those, those supporting cast guys hit their threes <clears throat> on the other side, offensively, you know, um, there's going to be opportunity for Carolina to get him into foul trouble. Uh, yeah. You know, again, he's going to, I don't think he's faced a front line like this, you know, maybe in the last couple of years, certainly not this year. Um, so it'll be a, a challenge for him. Um, but uh, I'm not going to predict Carolina to come out of there and win against the number five team in the country, but it's certainly, they're certainly capable of, of doing it. It's just a matter of whether or not, um, you know, a couple of threes go in, you know, um, the, the defense I think is an underrated story for Carolina this year too. We haven't talked about it, but yeah. They are turning into a phenomenal defense. Where did team. this come from? They've got uh, they've got some tenacious dog in them on the yeah, defensive end. Yeah, and you don't expect that from from freshmen just because again the the speed changes, the size, the athleticism. You don't expect a team starting two freshmen to be good defensively. I mean, we've seen it with other schools who are dependent on um, one and done type mm -hmm. players having to. Uh, change their defensive styles because the freshmen aren't ready to play man-to-man -man defense and that hasn't happened with Carolina yet so um, that's another storyline going there is that I do think um, Carolina can limit them offensively they're not going to score in my opinion 90 points against Carolina on Tuesday night so it's just a matter of um, those shooters on the wing stopping them and then if Carolina can get a couple shots to go in I think they have a good chance especially with no fans uh, same thing with Ohio, Ohio State I don't think it's that much different at all I love that you mentioned that. It's um, it's if Iowa wins uh, against North Carolina, it will be because Luca Garza and the rest of that team earned it. Like physically, I, I just I'm like you. They they haven't had the the test so far, so it will be interesting to see if they're able to to match up. But to the the point that you guys that you made about the North Carolina defensive effort so far, we didn't get any of those indications from Roy Williams. And I don't know if he was surprised when they started seeing live action, because that's usually one of his biggest qualms and his biggest beefs with his team is that they don't want to play defense. But over these first few games, I've seen multiple shot clock violations caused by Tar Heel defense. Uh, I've seen, you know, uh, 
balls stolen off of side out plays. I've seen uh, Dayron Sharp had a great deflection on an inbounds pass from the inline uh, in one of the, the games last week. These are things that usually it takes it takes Roy and the staff some time to get these instilled in these guys. So it's really neat to see so many of the young players figuring this out early and, and we'll see if they can maintain it, but early results have been good. Sean. Yeah. I think, you know, the block percentage on the team has been fantastic. And obviously with, with two bigs, um, you know, in, in terms of Iowa, just looking at kind of the most frequented lineups, they do have Joe Weisskamp playing the four. And once again, I think that's going to be the thing we talk about, all season is these teams are playing an undersized four and how does that, you know, how does that look with, with Greg Brown? I thought it gave him a little bit of confidence because he felt like he could get to the basket, um, you know, basically at will. And then that kind of led to him hitting his, his only three pointer when you just have to give a jab step and you get the guy off of you and maybe you're a little more open. So, you know, I think that's going to be a storyline for a lot of games and even this one. So it, you know, is Brooks going to be able to contend on the perimeter? And then on offense, will UNC be able to make them pay, um, you know, with a smaller defender in the post? Um, so I think that's that's a key. Um, Sherelle mentioned Leaky Black, so I've got to kind of bring him up. And, you know, he's been been up and down. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think it was a UNLV game. It, it kind of, you know, one possession kind of – or actually both UNLV and Texas, there are possessions where on defense um, – <laughs> um sorry um i lost my train of thought for a second but yeah unlv uh he got beat off the dribble uh one dribble just completely yeah. outclassed but then the guy instead of taking the basket kicked out the perimeter leaky saw beforehand sprints out blocks the shot and that was kind of the most active i've seen him and that kind of just showed one kind of the weakness of maybe on ball at times against quicker guys but two what could be uh, you know, with his length and, and mobility, kind of what else he brings to the table. And then Texas, uh, offensively, here he is taking one of those patented 18-foot uh, pull-up jump shots. He misses <laughs> inside it. inside the line. <laughs> but, you know, for him, he, he gets eventually gets the ball back, gets fouled, makes two free throws. Um, so I think, you know, really going forward is how, how focused is he in the game? Um, you know, once again, Texas, up until the five-minute mark, he was kind of just, you know, he was running up and down, but wasn't making any type of impact offensively on the game. And when you have two bigs um, and then two freshman guards, you can't just get nothing from, from your wing, um, from a scoring, shooting uh, style of play. So I think that's something. And, and you know, in, in that first half under the five minute mark, there was one possession and ended up being a turnover, but he, he just drove to the basket, got in the paint, lofted a pass to Kessler. Uh, ended up being a jump ball, but like, that's what he needs to do in terms of, um, you know, forcing the action in terms of looking to drive or, or looking to just be a presence, because if they're, if he's not doing anything, once again, that's how UNC is going to go into those scoring laws. And that's going to put a lot more pressure on the two guards that, you know, it's not a Jackie Manuel where you have Raymond Felton and Rashawn McCants playing the one and two. So he, he, he really, you know, he really needs to kind of be in the action and, you know, whether it's rebounding, pushing the ball up the court, he just needs to be involved in something. And be, yeah, exactly. Which we saw it at times. And, he, you know, he hit the big shot against Stanford and he did some things. We just, I think, need more of it with the group around him. So, Sherelle, I saw your eyes light up as if you had something <laughs> that that was just burning a hole in your soul to share with the listeners. What do you got? No, not particularly. I just, I just know uh, Leakey has become a hot button issue from from everybody um, who covers UNC basketball, and um, I think I I have I don't want to say I've become a defender, but you know I, I do think that sometimes uh, people can be a little bit hard on him, um, and it's because the wing at Carolina has typically been someone who knocks down threes, who can hit open shots, <clears throat> who isn't scared to take shots, who has you know, a really significant offensive impact. And when that's not there, I think it can be a little bit tougher to see how um, he helps UNC win. Now, I do agree with Sean that uh, the biggest issue now with Leakey is consistency. I think, you know, the whole idea of you show me you can do something one time, I expect you to do it every time. Um, with Leakey against Stanford, you know, I, I thought, outs, you know, he had four turnovers, which 
it felt a little more like six or seven. Um, but the he had timing of them made it feel that way. Yeah, I the timing of them made him. Yeah. But other than that, I, I thought it was a, a fine, you know, a, a solid floor game from him because I know that he's not going to be a 20 point score. Now, right. the question is, you know, it's two separate issues. It is can Carolina be as good of a team as it wants to be um, with someone at the small forward spot who maybe isn't, um, you know, the most offensively gifted or, or greatest shooter in the world. Or, and the other thing is, well, Leakey is good at what he does or solid at what he does. Like it can be both things that maybe the ceiling of the team is lower because of um, his, right now, his inability to shoot and score, but he also is the best thing for UNC at this particular moment. I think, I think it can be both of those things at the same time. Um, but I've, I've, I've really been impressed with his rebounding. I think he's averaging seven rebounds a game, which is yeah. big. So that's, that's activity. Um, I think there are a few players in the country who one game can guard Zaire Williams, who is a stud wing and potential lottery mm. pick. And the next day have a couple of possessions on Greg Brown, who is a different type of stud elite athlete wing and also a future lottery pick. So um, I think that's what he brings to the table. And it's just a matter of fine tuning, as Sean said, um, his ability to impact the game offensively um, at times because he does go stretches where you kind of forget he's on the court because yeah. uh, especially on the offensive end so it's just a matter of if you're not gonna you know be able to hit open shots then you know be be a willing cutter be a, a willing screener you know continue to hit the boards hard um you know make sure you're you're getting back on defense and um always have just simple stuff like always have your arms out because yeah. you're six eight it's, it's hard to shoot over you if you're six eight so um I, I just think it's it's a fascinating to me it's a fascinating dynamic in that um you talk about ceiling versus floor and then the freshmen and how do you integrate them? And is the difference in the ability of the freshmen to shoot, does that compensate for their inability to maybe defend and do some of the things that he can do on the ball? And I think that's, that's a question Roy Williams and his staff are, are trying to figure out. You know, the old saying of timing is everything. I think that you look at some of the goods uh, of Leaky Black and when the timing comes in, you know, like the layup at the end of the game against Stanford or the free throws against, I think he was the one that hit the free throws against Texas. I mean, those are valuable. And then you also have to juxtapose that with the bad timing of some of the unforced errors and the, and the turnovers. And you just kind of hope that, that those things will start to level out because statistically, I think North Carolina and the state, you know, specifically the staff will take the stats that he's giving them right now. You'd like to see those right. turnovers come down, but your point about the rebounds is, is an incredibly strong one, Cheryl. And uh, I, I don't think his 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 and his turnovers aren't forced. That I think that's the frustrating part with people right. is it. that he yeah sometimes he'll he'll just kind of dribble into himself into trouble mm -hmm. or he'll pass into trouble. So I, when you talked about what can get better, he can get better at that. The guards can get, but the whole team can get better at that. Fellas, anything else you want to say about the current state of the squad before we put a bow on the show? I've got two things. I, I said um, I said anything. So I mean, two things counts. <laughs> Two, two completely different things. One, uh, I know it kind of brought it up earlier, but tran you know, fast break and transition, you know, that, that's one thing where it, it just looks like they're, they're still pretty lost um, in terms of, you know, when you think of UNC, you think of fast break, you know, getting the ball to the basket, you know, getting some easy buckets. And right now, even when they're attacking, it doesn't look like they still know what exactly they're supposed to do, um, whether that's pushing the ball up the court, or, you know, when you get the ball on the wing, you know, I, there's been a few possessions on the left-hand wing where, you know, they missed a guy streaking down the court, you know, so the feel hasn't been, been there. Um, and hopefully that can uh, continue to improve because once again, that's going to be an area that they need to uh, excel at um, in terms of, you know, putting the pressure on the other teams and getting baskets. And then the other uh, is a guy that we haven't really talked about at all today, but Armando Baycott and have been, very impressed with his, his play early. Um, you know, last year, I think for him, it was sometimes thinking too much. And there, there's a possession when we played UVA last year where he just caught it, did kind of one move, spun the other way and hit a jump shot. And it was just like very short and compact. And I feel that's what he's been doing a lot this time. I mean, his, he's been killing it on the boards. Uh, it looks like his, uh, you know, I, I think it was one possession. He got the rebound. And he was out of bounds, but he just went up off two feet, exploded for a dunk. And I think he's, you know, he's been playing really well. Um, and it looks like he's been putting in a lot of work in the offseason. So wanted to mention his name as somebody that 
I've been very uh, pleasantly surprised with, and hopefully that can continue. Absolutely great point. I mentioned to some guys in our Slack group the other day that Armando's thing that jumped out at me last year was, to your point, he it seems like there's was a lot of unnecessary footwork, which can usually be a, a result of some indecision and inability to commit and make that quick move. This year, especially in his really, really good post moves, they've been very, very minimal wasted movement, very quick, um, you know, just very tight, concise uh, spin moves to the basket, which for a big guy like that, that's all you can ask for is that kind of footwork. And, and one last thing for me um, before we close, uh, Walker Kessler and Puff Johnson, we, we haven't talked about them either. I think we've talked about every single player on the roster. I'll just go ahead and say Sterling Manley and, and Walker Miller uh, and Dewey. So, um, baby uh, Jet. For, yeah, no, no baby Jet. I'm sorry, <laughs> KJ, my bad. Um, so for those two, remember, they were out for, you know, some time, uh, both of them, at least two weeks uh, with contact tracing and all that. So um, I think it'll be really good for them over the next couple of weeks. Um, typically, we would say, oh, it's December and exams are over so they can focus on basketball. Well, they've kind of been focused on basketball with, you know, classes being online and sure. everything. But they'll be able to get, you know, back in the groove uh, of practice over the next couple of weeks. And I, I think you'll see a, a playing time increase for those guys as they reintegrate into the system um, just after being out for so long. Because it does take some time, especially when you're missing those practices early uh, or kind of in the middle um, of the preseason that's an important time for installation and for just repping things so as they are able to get back and practice more I think you'll see them back in games more too well fellas we hope that we see you back more because you guys bring so much to this podcast we appreciate you being with us hey 50 minutes right like we've struggled through the dead period and through the summer <laughs> to to bring news and bring content to everybody now we got games and all of a sudden we banged out 50 minutes of <laughs> discussion about this current team and who could potentially be getting offers but we appreciate you being here thank you for being here guys thank you listeners and viewers for being here if you're not viewing us be sure to check us out on youtube go to the inside carolina uh, channel and subscribe if you're not subscribing to our podcast right now be sure to go ahead and do that there's going to be a lot more coming as the basketball season rolls on it's gonna be nothing but more games more games more games well there actually could be less games considering covid but you get my point but for Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran, I'm Joey Powell. We appreciate you guys listening. Thank you to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring. Always hit up InsideCarolina.com for any content, any news. If you need to hear about it, it's going to be there. But we appreciate you guys listening. We'll hit you next time. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.